Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Heavenly sunshine, 
Come on now, everybody taking part and singing out heartily. Jump right into it now and sing Heavenly Sunshine and turn around and shake hands with as many as possible. All together. Heavenly it up a little faster, Mr. Green, and then all together once more. Love 
just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. And he will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turn him. And you know a little fire is burning. You will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. It makes it Sometimes my path seems drear without a ray of cheer, and then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day. The mists of sin may rise and hide the starry skies, but just a little talk with Jesus clears the way. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our famous cry, and he will answer by and by.
Beth Farnham was a soloist on that lovely number. And now, Mrs. Fuller with the letters. Go right ahead, honey. Well, greetings, friends. I have some good letters for you today. From Scotland, a young girl writes and says that they've been enjoying the old-fashioned revival hour, that a man spoke to her father in the shipyards and told him that he might enjoy listening on Thursday nights from Luxembourg, and she's been so glad that the man spoke to her father. My brother is now a cadet in the Merchant Navy, and during his Christmas holiday, he also accepted Christ as Savior, so our family is now all Christian. On board ship, he told us that he heard your service on the captain's radio every week. Dear Reverend Fuller, several years ago, I was in a desperate state. On the way out to the barn with my mind made up to commit suicide, the whole family was away that Sunday afternoon. It was dark and cloudy, and my spirit was dark and hopeless as could be. For a most bitter disappointment had come into my life, and I wasn't living close enough to God so that I could have the comfort of prayer and trust in Him. As I went out through the dining room, I flicked on the radio. I guessed to put off for a few minutes what I had made up my mind to do. And I heard your quartet singing, and it sounded good. And then you began to preach, and it was as though you spoke right to me. You said, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, I sure was heavy laden, but I took him at his word and I came, and he gave me the rest, and things have turned out for the best. And when I look back, I know that God answers prayer, and when we turn our lives over to him, things work out right. We've had several letters through the years from persons who were about to commit suicide and who have heard the hour and have changed. And then I have time for one more letter today. Dear Dr. Fuller, a line to let you know what you've done for me. I am a commander in the Navy, 40 years old, and was raised by a family who were anything but Christian. I became a terrible drunkard. I have been in the Navy since I was 21 years old, U.S. Navy. I married a very sweet girl in Virginia five years ago, but I still drank and would laugh at her when she went off alone to Sunday school and church. Then the time came for me to go to Korea to fulfill my mission, and while I was away, a little son came to bless our home. I returned a few weeks ago, and I found my wife still going to church and taking the little boy with her. When Sunday came, our son said, Mommy, it's time for Dr. Fuller, and I laughed again. But I sat and listened through that day, and as you prayed, you prayed for all servicemen everywhere. And it was then that I got to thinking of all the narrow escapes that I'd had, and that God had brought me through, probably in answer to my wife's prayers. At the end of your sermon, I just knelt beside the radio and was saved. My wife is so much happier now that I join her and Junior every Sunday going to church. Someday, if I get a long enough furlough, we are going to see you in Long Beach. That is all for today, friends.
Heavenly Father, we thank thee that in saving us who believe in Christ, thou didst not just give us the promise of a future heaven to be gained, although that is wonderful, but that thou didst give us the presence of thy Son to go with us through this earthly sojourn here below. Father, today we pray for those who are lost and do not know their way in this world, who are fearful of the future, who are filled with doubt. 
And we pray that today they may put their hand in the Savior's hand and believe in him and come to know the joy of his presence. And today, O oh Father, we pray that thou wilt bless this broadcast and may it be used of thee to help begin a great revival in our land of America, that America may continue to be strong and to be a base from which the missionaries may go to the uttermost parts of the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. His message today is titled, Spiritual Warfare. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10, as we rejoin the broadcast. I'll provide additional information after Dr. Fuller's message. Take your Bibles and turn to the sixth chapter of Ephesians, beginning at the tenth verse. We'll read nine short verses. And in these nine short verses of chapter six, the Holy Spirit conducts us to view the great spiritual battlefield where two great opposing forces are engaged in a never-ceasing warfare over the souls of men. I wish the Church of Christ would become thoroughly familiar and know what God teaches in these nine short verses. Listen carefully to the reading of God's Word. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then this climaxing verse, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here upon this great battlefield, the forces of unrighteousness and godlessness directed by Satan, the old serpent called the devil, these forces are engaged in a great warfare against the forces of righteousness and godliness. And these forces of righteousness and godliness are captained by the Lord Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. These two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, diametrically opposed one to the other, are in constant warfare. And as the day of the Lord approaches, the temple of this spiritual warfare will increase in its intensity, finally heading up into the great tribulation, at which time Satan will place his man, the Antichrist, upon the throne of this world system. And no man will be able to buy or sell, save he have the mark of the beast. At the close of the great tribulation period, the Lord Jesus comes in power and in great glory, destroying Antichrist with the brightness and glory of his coming. And then the Lord will sit upon the throne of his father David. Nations will learn war no more, at least during the thousand years of his personal reign. For then righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Up to Ephesians 6.10, the believer is seen in the restful atmosphere of the family of God, walking worthily of the Lord in loving and joyous fellowship. Suddenly, beginning with Ephesians 6.10, there comes a call to arms a call to go forth into the heat and conflict of a great spiritual warfare. Vast hosts of spiritual wickedness, notice it, principalities, powers, world rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness under the leadership of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, are in battle against the Lord and his hopes, the brethren in Christ Jesus. Hence, we who are born-again believers are admonished, according to the verses just read, to be strong, not in ourselves, but to be strong in the Lord. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're not wrestling against humanity, but you're wrestling against Satan himself. And so we have a call to arms, to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, to fight the good fight of faith 
and to endure unto the end, and to those that are faithful even unto death, God says, I'll give a crown of life. Rewards to those who keep his word of patience. But in passing, may we note that when our Lord was here upon earth, that after his baptism in the river Jordan, upon the threshold of his public ministry, he personally went into battle against Satan. And I note the words in Mark, the first chapter, beginning at the tenth verse. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now note the wording. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. And going back to Ephesians, in the fifth chapter, we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the moment that you press on to be filled by the Holy Spirit, somehow under the permissive and directive will of God, immediately you come into conflict with the satanic powers, under the leadership of the prince of the power of the air. Oh, listen, this thing is real. And as Christ was immediately driven into the wilderness to be tested of Satan, likewise we who are his followers will come under the same testing. For he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Do you think you're going to go some easier way? No, for tribulation worketh patience, and patience maketh not a shame. And think it not strange when fiery trials come upon you to try your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes. And the nearer and the closer and the more filled of the Spirit you are, the more you'll be tested by Satan, the old serpent. Now notice this call to arms in Ephesians 10th verse is issued to my brethren. Paul does not direct this call to any special class of believers, but he issues the call to all believers. My brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be fully clothed upon with God's provided armor. And I say this in passing that no one in himself can stand against the enemy, an enemy with such great power and wisdom and cunning. All need to be in the Lord, that is, in abiding fellowship, and being in Him, we are then in the Almighty One. And the Almighty One has all power and has overcome Satan. And his hopes, did he not say to the disciples at the Last Supper, In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now please bear in mind that when nations are at war here upon earth, opposing generals 
desiring to be victorious and defeat the enemy, study and learn as much as possible about each other's war strength in manpower, in tanks, in planes, and much-needed war supplies. The intelligence department, through spying in various channels, learn all they can about the opposing enemies. How we, therefore, who are good soldiers under the captain of our salvation, how we need to be instructed and informed as to the strength and the battle plans of the enemy of our soul. And I say that the church is weak along this line, not knowing what the plans and what methods in the wiles of the devil are. You're not thoroughly instructed. And how gracious of God to instruct us and to provide adequate armor, enabling us to stand against our powerful enemy. First of all, well, you know, in verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, and we'll speak upon that in later broadcasts, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, God's word is very clear. It speaks of the wiles of the devil, not some influence, not some caricature, but a personage of great power and wisdom and cunning and might. And there are just four things, and I'll only have time to speak upon the first of these four, leaving the other three to future broadcasts. First of all, the devil, the person, his position, his purpose, and his plan. Now the scriptures everywhere, especially from Genesis 3 of the Old Testament down to Revelation, the 20th chapter, sets forth a personage called Satan, the old serpent, not one with two horns from his head, divided tail, a spear-like tail, or whatever it is, but a personage of great power sets forth Satan, the old serpent, the devil. And this personage is shown as the bitterest enemy of God and his people. Listen, he came to Adam and Eve, the serpent, he came as a bright, shining, angelic being from the heavens above back in the days of the Garden of Eden. And the very first thing he said to Eve was, Yea, hath God said. And his work was then to throw doubt in Eve's mind as to the veracity and the truth of God's word. And the moment that she received that doubt, he began to add to God's word and to subtract from it. And the moment that he got her in that doubting attitude, she believed the lie. And as a result, sin, sin entered this human race. And as by one man sin entered, so has death. And the trouble with the world from the days of Adam and Eve down until Jesus comes, is this three-lettered word, S-I-N. And the sin question has to be settled. And the law of sin and death is still operating. But beside that is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So we have this personage, Satan, the old serpent, the devil, 
And throughout the Old Testament, how he hates God's chosen people, earthly people, Israel. And throughout the chapters of the Old Testament, you see him in bitter opposition to Israel. And he hasn't stopped his bitterness against Israel even to these days. And in the New Testament, he is bitterly opposed to the church and the church composed of those who are blood-washed, born again, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Satan hates, and he is directly opposed to you. And this enemy is cruel, full of hatred. He is spoken of as a deceiver, the father of lies, or the liar from the beginning, a murderer, accuser. And according to Revelation, Satan is accusing us day and night before the throne of God. You ought to know some of these things. And he is the tempter, the prince, the apollyon, which means destroyer. And everything that Satan puts his hand to destroys not only God's handiwork, but tries to destroy the human race. He's spoken of as the evil one, Beelzebub, and many other names. And every name that he goes under in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is repulsive and repellent, disclosing Satan's true nature. Now the Word of God speaks of the workings of Satan, this powerful personage. Ephesians 6.11 speaks of the wiles of Satan. That comes from a word from which we get our word methods, or the methodia. That is, he has definite, well-laid, cunning plans to entrap, to lead astray, to lead into captivity, and to keep his goods in his hands. And according to 2 Corinthians 2.11, For we are not ignorant of his devices. I wonder, how ignorant is the church of the satanic devices or thoughts only as you study God's Word and have the indwelling Holy Spirit? He then gives you discerning to go against Satan who has now transformed himself into an angel of light. And you'll know satanic thoughts and the satanic plans, and you'll be able to discern the true from the false. And there's so many false, bloodless cults today across the land that leave out the shed blood in the cross of Calvary. It's hard for some to discern. It's only as you know God's Word that you're able to discern. Second Timothy 2.24 speaks of his snares. That is his plan to entrap, to capture and make one ineffective. Satan beguiles, opposes, deceives and hinders and persecutes and blasphemes. And every work of his is destructive. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You can't stand against this power in your own might, you'll go down instantly. For note, First Peter 5, 8, and I close with this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Don't minimize Satan's power. 
Don't laugh it off as something just out of the mind of an old-fashioned preacher. I'm giving this to you out of God's Word. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now listen. By nature, you're a child of disobedience and a child of wrath in the kingdom of darkness under the energizing power of none other than Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And every soul that hasn't experienced the new birth, I say on the authority of God's word that your father in the realm of the spiritual is none other than Satan, the devil. Don't come back at me now. I'm telling you God's truth. And I say to you that unless you repent and come to a saving knowledge of Christ, you'll die in your sins. And where Jesus is, you cannot go, but will spend a Christless eternity separated from Jesus, the light of the world. And what you need is the experience of the new birth. For except a man be born again, he cannot see, let alone enter in to the kingdom of God. And the moment that you hear the gospel and believe from the heart that Jesus died and rose again, buried and rose again the third day, and accept that gospel which is the power of God unto salvation, God translates you out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. Jesus said, I am come that ye might have life, eternal life, why will you die? Let's bow our heads in prayer. No one stirring, please. Christians, pray with me. And out over the radio audience, I've tried by God's grace to enlighten your eyes that you may see these things in the realm of the spiritual. Unless you're born again, you're a child of Satan, lost, without hope, without God. But God says, I'm not willing that you should perish, but that you should come to repentance. Will you come now for him that cometh unto me? I will in no wise cast out. Kneel by your radio and give your heart to God and look up into the Father's face and say, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me for Christ's sake. While our heads are bowed in this Splendid visible audience in Long Beach today, how many will put their hands up and say, Brother Fuller, pray for me. I here now want to accept Christ as my personal Savior. I'd like to be remembered in a word of prayer. Will you shoot your hand up and say, pray for me? God bless you. Is there another one here on the lower floor of this auditorium? God bless you. Is there another hand to go up and say, pray for me? God bless you, lady. Is there another hand? Just before I go to the balcony, I'm pressed for time. God bless you, my dear man. Up in the balcony to my right, put your hand up and say, pray for me. Is there one there? I'm pressed for time. In the balcony to the rear. Yes, God bless you. In the balconies to the left. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? I'll have to close. God bless you back there. Anyone else, any place, anywhere, put your hand. God bless you. Continue in prayer as we leave the air on the old-fashioned revival hour. 
This is Charles E. Fuller bidding you goodbye and God's richest blessing upon you.